finding the balance between how you are mm-hmm. online. It's not that much different from having to navigate socially the reality of just existing in the world and working in Hollywood as a metaphorical place, even if it's not my physical place, mm-hmm. something I'm keenly aware of because we tend to have people who are really pushing the envelope on, mm-hmm. you know, both in terms of the social justice side and you have people on the free speech side you know, who are often at, at opposites, right? And are the people who are actually fighting sometimes through mm-hmm. different proxies, mm-hmm. trying to be as straightforward as I can be and, you know, feel like I'm being true to myself but uh, keeping, my, keeping my visa intact. Welcome to the Virtual Expats Podcast, where we discuss how moving to different countries affects what we do online with your host, Stephanie. A first-generation Italian-American who feels more comfortable not fitting in Asia, where she has been living more on and off since 2003 than in her own country, the U.S. My name is Ronald Paredes, host of the Creativity Roots Podcast and a long-time listener of Virtual Expats where I was pleased to be a guest in the episode 62. I'm hijacking this intro so I can tell you a little bit about the guest for this episode of Virtual Expats. Brendan Davis is an American expat living in China for many years. He is a film and TV writer, producer, director, and fellow podcaster. His podcast, If I Knew You Better, Big Fish in the Middle Kingdom, and How China Works are among his several projects each of them very different, but with a common denominator. They take you to the inside of the cultural aspects and interesting nuances that we often miss or overlook with witty and funny conversations. At a personal level, Brendan is a great guy, considerate, respectful of other people's work, and a very dedicated professional. He always talks with a very positive vibe that makes you feel like everything is going to be all right. It is funny because when he sent me voice messages, my wife always asks me, who is the guy with the handsome voice? In this episode, Stefan Brendan chat about how his move to China changed what he did online. How he's splitting his time now that he has decided not to work in China, but will continue to keep a home base and internet connection here. And how he cultivated his crazy in a good way online persona, while being a deep and thought-provoking and, may I say, wonderful human being. You can find out more about Brendan by going to his website, crazyinagoodway.com, and you will want to check his projects because there is a lot to learn and enjoy from them. If you have any comments or questions about this episode, please feel free to connect with Steph on any social media platform. You will find the information in the episode notes. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Virtual Expats. Thank you so much, Brendan, for joining us on Virtual Expats Podcast. Steph, thanks a lot for having me. This is going to be, uh, it's going to be a podcast. I think it's going to be a <laughs> I think it's going to be a fun <laughs> podcast, hopefully. Absolutely, absolutely. We yeah. play with the geographical movements of expats and their virtual mm-hmm. activities yeah. and see how they affect each other. So let's start with your geographical movements. I hate the question, where are you from? And I'm trying to think of a different question to create. So what is your geographical <laughs> but story? But here's the same question with a lot more words. No, uh, no, it's not. Because I don't just want to know the on. starting point. I want like a snapshot of where you've been. So where have you been? Sure. 
where have you lived in the world? You grew up in the U.S., right? In the deep south? I did. I uh-huh. did. The deep, deep south, the deep, deep, dirty south is my origin story. That's the incubator. It's a long story, which we'll talk about, I think, in, in pieces as I understand the show. But basically, I moved to Los Angeles in 2002. Mm-hmm. And then that was the, if Atlanta was kind of the, you know, incubator origin, then LA was definitely the crucible. Mm-hmm. In terms of, because um, it was a big career change was involved, same business, mm-hmm. but going from technical to creative. And then along the way, which is itself a, a long story, but I, I had had, among other things, this lifelong interest in other cultures and have friends and partners in New Zealand and also have friends and partners that I developed uh, in China as it came mm-hmm. to be. So I found myself doing more and more work with China in the U.S. Mm-hmm. and also developing some projects that were cooperative projects with New Zealand in the U.S. or New Zealand and China. And so I found myself starting to go to those places in like mm-hmm. 2013. Okay. And so I started becoming co-located between L.A. And Beijing, where I'd spend about a month every season or so, every four to six months, and spend about a month worth of time in China. I did that for a few years, and then I moved there full-time in uh, 2016. 2016. And back and forth, I've been based back in California Mm -hmm. within the States since late December. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, Beijing is still home. Beijing is where, you know, most of my stuff is (laughs) that I I care about right now. (laughs) So Beijing Beijing is where I'm paying rent. And <laughs> I'm in my, yeah, that's kind of the short version of that. So it looks like the U.S. and China are the two countries, if we were just to put it into countries and not cities. Is that right? Well, that's the main, yeah, that's the main places. I mean, yeah, mm-hmm. I've, I've spent, I spent a lot of time in Italy. I had a yeah. business partner there. It's been a good bit of time in New Zealand. But yeah, Beijing and L.A. are the two, okay. are the two home homes. For Italy and New Zealand, were those like long work trips kind of things? or did you- I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I wasn't on a lease or anything. Okay. But I mean, I'm staying, you know, I wasn't staying in a hotel for the most part. It was like gotcha, staying gotcha. Like, at long-term rentals. But You know, now that you're mentioning the whole lease apartment thing, like where your home is thing, I think I do that too. I'm like, if I was there for a month to three months, but I was in a hostel or a hotel or a friend's place, I don't really consider that having lived there. Yeah, no, I, so, I, yeah. I don't consider it. I, I mean, t- to be... Because, I mean, I still have ongoing things in New Zealand, although yeah. there's super active. I mean, a part of me, a, a part of my, a part of my soul stuff, a part of, a part of me <laughs> lives there, Yeah, uh, which sounds really super corny, but it's yeah. true. Um, but yeah, so really Los Angeles and Beijing have been the two main homes uh, and Atlanta really goes way back and yeah, it's a long gotcha. story, but don't feel super connected to, yeah. to there. No, no disrespect or anything. Just no. a long time ago. Just not to get too tangential, but we are talking about place in right. one of the things in there here. But I always do a Los Angeles, San Francisco and Shanghai, Beijing comparison in my head. And I haven't spent enough time in Beijing to own this theory, but do you, <laughs> you've, you've spent a fair amount of time in Beijing. Have you spent a lot of time in Shanghai? Yeah. I mean, a decent bit. Yeah. Do you think that's a fair yeah, comparison? Um, yeah, pretty, pretty, pretty fair. I would, I mean, in terms of both in terms of geography and just, I mean, in, in terms <laughs> of distance between them yeah. and the fact that they're two, you know, they're two significant cities that, that have within the same you know country, obviously, but that have some really different characteristics and some overlap. Yeah. Really different. You know, LA is, is very serious in a lot of ways. I mean, although it's, it's obviously, it's, it's a serious base of the entertainment business. Mm-hmm. And, and um, in, I don't know, I always relate LA more to Beijing. 
and I have my overlap, my over oh. my grid. So like people who know LA yeah. but are new to Beijing and they're yeah. trying to get their head around travel, I kind of do. I have like a LA reference map that like <laughs> I roughly lands on top of Beijing, so I can use. Okay, so imagine you're in Glendale. Okay, well that's actually where the airport is, and then so I have this way to <laughs> translate it for people. That's if you know awesome. LA, I can make Beijing make sense in about five minutes. Wow. I mean, okay, it, that's, it, in oh. terms of the, here's where that is, not in terms of understanding. Okay. Of, like maneuvering around the city. Yeah. Not in terms of, yeah. you know, deep geopolitical insights. That's a whole podcast in and of itself. That's right. <laughs> All right. So let's get online then. So when was the first time? <laughs> can we let's start the interview? Oh, yeah. No. no, no. It's about planes and internet. And we've started, started a while ago, actually. I know. I know. You owe me an edit, but we'll see when this airs. Go no ahead. worries. <laughs> so what was the first time you really feel like you were, like the internet was a huge part of your daily life? I think huge part of my daily life mm -hmm. would be, it's going to be earlier than almost anybody you've talked to, unless you've talked to people who helped invent stuff. Let me answer your question by adding in a little extra context. The short answer to your question, the, the punchline to that question, I would say is, no, 1993, maybe. Wow. Uh, and so okay. this is pre, I think it's basically pre-web. So I, I, I fell in with a friend of mine back when I was in uh, ninth grade. His dad mm -hmm. bought him a, a, the, the very first computer kit that was sold. The very, very first. And most people never touched a computer. No wow. one really had computers at home. He was a very successful doctor and could afford this beautiful, wonderful scientific gift for mm -hmm. his kid. He was a smart kid, but I was more electronically inclined. I was always mm -hmm. doing stereos and things. Anyway, uh, this kid, Brian, got me involved to help him. So we built this computer and we yeah. actually learned basic programming. 83, 82, 83. 1983. Yeah, yeah. So I was using computers. Wow. I was literally built computers, although, you know, from a kid. There are people who are like low-level hacker types now that would just laugh at me completely. I mean, like I have no skills in that regard now. But I, so I went from yeah. being like you're wow. a wizard to like I, you know, I'm I'm a savvy user, but I'm not. So, so I really started computers on a regular basis in yeah. the early '80s. By the time the early days, you know, long before the web, and it was Usenet groups and, and mm -hmm. IRC chats, and I was I was doing all that stuff when I was all coming up in the wow. early '90s. I go all the way back. Yep. You definitely win so far. You've, you've, you're, you are the earliest user. <laughs> well, if you get Tim Berners-Lee on here or, or, Al, or Al Gore, they'll, uh, there's, a lot, of, there's a lot of people ahead of me. I don't think those are going to happen. You know, they're, they're not next week. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway. It's um, their loss. It's their loss stuff. <laughs> tell yourself that. It's their loss. There you go. That's what I tell um, myself. But what what were you doing? You were mostly in the chat rooms and you were like, was this like you were, did you say 10 or 12 years old? What no, were I, didn't, you, I, didn't, I didn't say that. You didn't say, okay, me, we're not putting. You're giving in. me credit for being a lot younger than I am, actually. Okay. I'm, 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 so, so I mean, some people. I'm 51. Oh, okay. So, yeah, yeah. I'm very close. I know. To I know you're shocked. Yeah. It's, I'm always told how I look. You look so much. You look. You don't look a day over 50. I know. Yeah. <laughs> it's the no, creative I, thing. It makes I, I've looked the last the last three years living in China. I've caught mm. up. I always looked a lot younger than my age. Mm. And I'm probably about caught up now. I feel, like I'm, I feel like I'm basically like there's no, oh, do you think I am? And then I guess, and they're really close. I'm like, oh, okay. 
my idea of what 50 and 60 <laughs> looks like has changed dramatically as I've gotten sure. older. Yeah. It happens. Once it's, you cross about 30, it's like, oh, that's going to happen to me. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like the yeah. way when I was 18, like was I always teaching 18 year olds and they were looking no. at me. I was like, I thought I w- that age that I was when I was teaching, I thought that was ancient when I was 18. So I can only fathom what you guys are doing. Wow. I was, I mean, exploring, researching because I'd use computers, you know, there was the, people wouldn't remember this unless you're my age or older, but at, at your library, if you had a really nice library, and I was, I worked my way through college, so it took forever, which is part of why, um, in, yeah. in the early to mid nineties, I was, I mean, I graduated, I eventually graduated in 93, gone straight through, I would have graduated in 90. So mm-hmm. that's all that. There were the research, the online card catalog was a thing at the, mm-hmm. at the, at the college. Mm-hmm. And then you could access research papers through this super hinky, which is an old experience, you know, super funky, weird yeah. little version of, of what became the, the you know, it's, yeah. it was the internet. It was yeah. part of, it was the civilian part that was for academia. So right. you could find papers and things but so so yeah I was I was using Uh, that stuff and pulling quotations and yeah what color was the screen at that point was it green or orange oh good question that depended (laughs) on your monitor actually yeah that that was a a monitor thing yeah I mean I had I had you know all the flavors yeah all the flavors (laughs) I I had the tangerine and the lime yeah there you go Yeah, I had the I had the matrix and the surface of the sun, whatever that orange one was. So you started with chat rooms. When do you remember doing things other than chat rooms online? So so chat rooms gave way to um, it was the early like the the first really super wobbly version of Netscape mm-hmm. and Internet Explorer were kind of simultaneous, and yep. you know, AOL was was a thing. Yep. And they had their own web browser, which for most people just, I mean, had no, understandably, I'm not trying to sound superior about it. Most people who came to the internet with AOL back in Mm -hmm. the day, that was their full concept of what it was. They had no idea that, oh, this is a walled garden that's curated and stocked and planted just for you. Oh, there's all these fish in in the stream. Yeah, how about that? We put them there. You know, and that stream is closed on both ends, right? Mm -hmm. They had no idea that this was like a a self-contained ecosystem. Yeah. And there are later versions of AOL where they had like their browser and you're like, oh, I can put in any address if I know what to do and I could search and oh my gosh, Alta Vista changed my life, you know, early search engines. It's funny because, you know, people grow up now with the internet. It's part of your consciousness of how to use it. And I've had this Mm -hmm. conversation with a lot of people, especially people with kids who grow up. Oh my God, they're wired into the world's information from birth and so what are their expectations right but so at the time it's like oh my god we could i could find out anything like you know and it's funny because as much junk and misinformation as there is currently Mm -hmm. online in any given topic and you know there's gold and there's junk and you gotta you have to know enough to the junk but but so back when there were you know i mean I, i i can't put a real number on this but i mean however many trillions of web pages there probably are. I guess there are now. There However many there, there are. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I was online when there were like probably less than a hundred thousand web pages wow. total yeah. in the world, you know, yeah. when, cause when it started, like every creative person who was also computer savvy somewhere started trying to build some funky yeah. weird site. <laughs> so you have a bunch of really yeah. goofy archives of some of that stuff. hilarious to see. What oh people, my gosh. You know, it's, it's, it's a lot of stuff still on creativity. Though. Some yeah. of it is, and some yeah. people have maintained, That's so uh, cool. although the old technology doesn't work, yeah. so they recreate how it looked. But yeah, it's funny because what was it like last month or two months ago where the it was the anniversary of basically the 
common people's version of the internet, not the military version, but like the right. right. World yeah, Wide yeah, Web. Yeah, yeah. And I was yeah. like, 30 years, 30 years. Can you just, just fathoming that all of this has happened in that short time frame? Mm-hmm. Is yeah, I, 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 I fathom it because I watched, yeah, because I, I was I was there. Me too. <laughs> yeah. Although okay. on, on a, a slower path than you, I was in a pretty small, well, actually, no, my first real venture was, Oh gosh! At university, I really just mm-hmm. said, "Oh gosh!" Um, at university, <laughs> like 1999, just okay. millennium change, yeah. and uh, and it was Hotmail, and then we discovered, you know, you could pipe in other addresses and find other things, and then just search. But we ha- we had the orange screen in our school, right? The orange screen with the listservs, and I didn't. I but I don't view that as this in the same way as the World Wide Web when it became very right. search friendly. It feels like a very different place because the the listservs were very university based and they were very exactly boring, boring, boring for the most part. So it was, yeah, it was a very different experience. You moved to China in 2016, con over chat rooms and, um, and research online. What other things were you doing during that gigantic chunk of time? Uh, I mean, chat rooms and IRC, I was still like, uh, no, no one needs to know my history, but I mean, I was still in Athens, Georgia. I lived there eight years before I moved to Atlanta. Okay. I mean, it was years and years and years and years. And so the development of the web was, you know, the early social networks and mm-hmm. things like that and listservs, as you mentioned, and like job boards. And there mm-hmm. were early, early user groups, like professional film groups, because I was mm-hmm. a film, I was a technician, came out of music at my first career as in music as a guitar player and also a sound engineer to film school, got a film degree in in at Georgia State in Atlanta and worked on the technical side. I mean, I worked mm-hmm. in production sound as a mixer or a boom operator and I also became an editor later. And so all during all, I mean, this was like about 12 year period in Atlanta. And so it was social stuff, but also work groups and things like that. And moving to LA before I moved to LA, the, uh, you know, online dating sort of became an early thing. Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> single in Atlanta and single and moved you know, throughout the time. And uh, for the most part, and so the early dating websites, which were hilarious, you know, but just such a revelatory thing, and there used to be such a stigma yeah. around it. Yeah. And now it's why were they? Common, why were they hilarious? Because I, yeah. Well, I mean, because no one knew how to act in the reference. I think the funny thing was mm-hmm. there were these, there were all these. Oh, what do they call them? Again, it, you had you have to be old enough to get the reference, or the, the name would, would instantly make you laugh if I could pull the name out of thin air. But there were these matchmaking services yeah. that they try to sell, and it was basically there'd always be some. This is going to sound anybody who's easily triggered, just get over it. Okay, I'm a grown man. So uh, there's there was this. This is coming from a good place, but there was there was these dating uh, matchmaking sites run in real time, like in real world, like these little kiosks at the shopping at the strip mall. And you go in and they were always run by some kind of like good looking kind of woman, probably middle aged woman. And she's the face of like her local store and she's got a charming staff of other like, you know, attractive Mm -hmm. women and their their market. Is and their ads that they would run was were these photos of all these good looking women and they're single and they're on video and here's yeah. what I like man and blah 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 and the cheesy the eighties video eighties yeah. video production values were so hysterically bad yeah. 
Um, <laughs> we had better equipment. It's just like the low level of equipment was gave you this terrible look. But in reality, their their customers were basically all the needy men, and I never did that. Thousands of dollars. Mm-hmm. I was curious enough to find out there was it cost yeah. thousands of dollars to go yeah. in there, and they would do this interview. Let's do a personality inventory. What do you like in a woman? You know, uh, you know, <laughs> and and then they would sit you. They would tell you how to dress up like you're getting your photo made at the Sears yeah. Portrait Studio, and and so there are all these great videos online of guys that at their nerdiest ever, very awkwardly trying to tell themselves on this horrible video. So that was around. So then when online dating websites became a thing and, but you know, before it was a commercial venture, it was just, there were all, there was always like those chat groups and things like that where people could meet and mix and mingle uh, virtually or real life. And um, so that was an interesting thing. And then all these subcultures. Mm -hmm. So there was like professional film groups that I, that popped up and I got to be part of. There were all kinds of things related to music and arts and lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And there was an old group I'll out myself here uh, called uh, Suicide Girls, which was not like my dominant aesthetic that I was into. I actually have no tattoos. I had bunch of piercings and super long hair when I was a rock guy, but I, amazingly, I have no tattoos. Yeah. But Suicide Girls is all about, like, basically, you know, people know it now, it's old hat, but at the time, it was a big deal. It's like, oh, we're, we're killing society's idea of what we should look like. No, basically, it was a lot of daddy, daddy help me or uncle touch me kind of projected onto the internet. I see your face. You don't know what to do with it. This is, <laughs> this is kind of comedy. It's comedy. You're like, what kind of, what are we talking no, because about? I'll tell you what, sorry, my facial yeah. expressions just have a life of their own. <laughs> I I've tried to, to tame them over the years. It doesn't work that great. That was an out for me because I realized I was digging a hole. No, um, no, 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 no. My facial expression <laughs> is because you're putting already just a few minutes into the interview, you're putting a lot of words to things that I've experienced yeah. or thought but haven't yeah. actually expressed ex- uh, okay. articulately right. yet. So you're, you're, you're doing that, which is right. awesome. Right. But, but I yeah. hadn't realized that I had thought it, and that's what the facial expression was. Oh, great. Okay. Yeah. Well, so, well I, it's, you know, I like how meta this is, <laughs> other than that one edit in the beginning where we did a, I, I got a second take on that. Sound like an idiot. Funny that you mentioned the stuff, though, because when I was in LA, I was a very broke college student living in Santa Monica. I don't know. I, rent control is the reason why that happened. And community colleges, thank goodness for that. But I had the yeah, AOL just. I did. Yeah. 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 yeah Unbeknownst yeah. to me, the most, the, the school with the biggest international student population was SMC. And I just thought LA yeah. was so yeah. diverse and so mixed. And it is, but SMC mm. is like the, the, yeah, the, yeah. Yeah. Crockpot and all that. Absolutely. Yeah. LA is it's much more. Metaphor in a lot of ways. What's that? That's a crockpot's probably a metaphor. Good metaphor in a lot of ways. <laughs> I, I lived in Santa Monica my first six years in LA and I love it, but really? you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's got, it's got yeah. a soft spot in my heart. I mean, I lived less than two miles from the beach. And I mean, coming from landlocked Pennsylvania, it was awesome. Where was I going? Oh, so I was super broke yeah. living in Los Angeles mm, and right. going to school. And so I got the AOL discs because I couldn't afford a dial-up internet, no matter how cheap it was. And so I went into the chat rooms and I discovered, oh, there are dating chat rooms. I'm single yeah. in Los Angeles. This place is huge. Let's meet some people that aren't in my classes. And so, Have you know, it all just... What's that? And have a free dinner. <laughs> oh yeah, but the stakes. People were crazy. I mean, they're they're crazy online now, but they were really crazy then because there weren't as many pictures. It was mostly text. Oh yeah. As soon yeah. as people got you into a private room, they got like super crazy kinky in two seconds. Uh, and I'm like, yeah. wait, yeah. we were talking about books. What just happened? Yeah, what happened here? <laughs> so yeah, naked got- lunch to losing my lunch. Yeah, it was, it was a bit, but yeah, it was, it was, in, it was interesting to see how people changed when it was in the general chat room when a lot right. of people were talking to when we right. went into a private chat room. But anyway, that was, that, 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 no, that. that's so good. <laughs> well, 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 I mean, you asked where things go. So mm. 
I mean, so just different, you know, different social sites. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I was never a big Friendster guy, but I remember when it started, I, I, yeah. I still have friends who are like, bring back Friendster. Well, I have one friend. Hi, I'm Moksha. I have one friend who <laughs> says, bring back Friendster. It says that on her Facebook profile. Wow. It, I said that on her, it said that on her MySpace profile. Yeah. Back then now, too. you were a musician. Did you put stuff up on MySpace? That was a decade before. Ah, yeah, okay, okay, okay. I had a brief professional, semi-professional career, Yeah, but it was over by 97. Ah, uh, okay, okay, yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, 97. I mean, maybe kind of gasped a little bit in 98, but yeah, so <laughs> I mean- a long time before MySpace. And MySpace, you know, later became branded. They tried to, there was the heyday and then they died when Facebook rose to prominence. And then MySpace tried a bit of a rebrand. They paid Justin Timberlake a bunch of money and he was like, hey, it's a hit place for music. And, (laughs) you know, all their old profiles disappeared. And it was, and it was Jeep. It was like a less cool G plus, which that's possible. So you were a pretty heavy user of the internet from the beginning. Do you feel like your online and offline life were pretty balanced or did you ever feel like you kind of spent too much time online? It was nice enough in your prep, you know, to see some of the, some of the questions you might address and, and a lot of them are thought provoking. This was one of them. I short answer to that question is yes, there were definitely periods where I was online way too much. Um, there are a bunch of these kind of dystopian future sci-fi near, mm. near future sci-fi movies, which is to say, you know, near term sci-fi movies, some, some version of losing your identity online or being addicted to strange days, things like that. And there were times where I felt like I could relate to that, but, but I was never like Neo in the matrix where I'm like, you know, living there, jacked in, you know, wired yeah. in, yeah, uh, yeah, but yeah. I mean, but, but there, there were times, I mean, there, there were, there were probably periods here and there, there would be periods of a few days where I was basically just online constantly. I mean, yeah. again, 20 odd years ago. It's hard not to. Sometimes when life is harsh, it's it's nice to have a slightly more controlled digital environment to kind of escape to. These stories you were talking about in yeah. Athens and Atlanta and Los Angeles. Mm. Well, you were asking if there's a great yeah. time I spent too much time online and, mm. and you're asking about balance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's something I'm more into. I'm really in touch with it these days. The pendulum has swung between the extremes. It's really <laughs> gone. I, I made a lot of changes some years ago just for my own, you know, some kind of having some kind of a shred of you know, mental health uh, awareness and um, spending too much time online and mostly being too, too many inputs. Like it's, mm-hmm. uh, I have a kind of brain that's, that's pretty hyperactive. So I, I don't have, you know, ADHD or anything like that, but I mean, you could make a case for like, you know, slightly more obsessive than, than normal th- things that are useful in my career as a mm-hmm. producer, because it, you know, you, you want to need to track a bunch of things and prioritize, you know, priorities, things like that. Um, anyway, though, as it relates to the question, there are times in my my work life where tracking a ton of inputs mm-hmm. and value ordering that and kind of constantly being aware of a bunch of stuff, but focused on the task. That's just that's the job, basically, right? And then and then acting on that information the right way. Or what do hopefully, you mean by input? Well, I mean all kinds of different variables. You know, I mean that you're producing a project and you know, there's, there's crew, there's cast, there's crew, there, there are all these things. Oh, we have a location and how do we get that insurance certificate? And there, there are tons and tons of things going on. Even like I hire somebody whose job is to handle those details. Mm -hmm. I have to make sure that those details are are managed, right. And make sure that the right person is doing the right thing. And there's things I've got to do, whatever. So, Mm -hmm. so, so that, so the way I'm wired is an asset for what I do, mm-hmm. but it means that it's hard to 
turn, you know, it's easy for me to do something like obsess on the internet that like I used to, it's been a long time though, Yeah. but it's hard to turn my brain off at night. So mm-hmm. to be able to do this, I adopted a lot of practices and, and there's a lot more to it. The whys has to do with, with other things, but mm-hmm. you know, I adopted a no screen, you know, I try to do no screens about an hour or so before bed at, yeah. at a minimum. Don't yeah. always do it, you know. I like everybody else. Sometimes I'm in the bed with the phone in my hand, but um, but I don't I don't look first thing in the morning. I basically really had to take control of all that stuff to be able yeah. to 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 for my own sake. And again, it gets into other issues. I mean, from simple productivity to peace of mind to yeah. statements of identity to the universe about how I'm going to live my life. I'm not available 24 hours a day. Middle of production, you know, there's certain things. Mm -hmm. If I'm in the middle of something where I might have to be reached at 3 Mm a.m., again, I'm fortunate to be at a point where I'm structured this way, but there are certain things, you know, there are people whose job it is to do what what they call fire watch, right? Mm -hmm. In the military camping where you're, you're the one up all night looking for enemy fire or looking right. for like, make sure the fire is out. If it's a campground, you know, looking for movement from the other side, right, or whatever. Right. But there are a handful of things that would be the reason that like I would be woken up or bothered yep. in the middle of the night, you know, but those are few and far between. Yeah. So, I mean, if I'm doing my job right, then, then one thing I can do is I can get some sleep. So it's really hard for me to naturally turn off the inner chatter. So, I adopted, you know, like I got really serious about meditation practice and I'm not as, not as on my game with my yoga as I need to be. I've got to get back into being in shape as a priority, but, but yoga meditation, especially meditation, I, I don't mess with. I mean, every morning and usually every night, but I don't look at anything when I get up. Yeah. I mean, I blindly like turn the phone, turn the alarm off, but I'm about an hour before I look at the phone. I'm so impressed. Practice. Got to do it. And I I get up early. I didn't invent more hours in the day. I get up early to be able to do that. Yeah. See, I've done the screen thing at night and I've definitely stopped doing late night interviews because with time zones, it was easier for me to just do an interview at 10 p.m. at night. Uh, But I found that I couldn't turn off. Like my brain just kept going, going, going. And I was was at 2, 3 a.m. and I was still going. So I started to do like stop doing late night interviews stopped like I stopped my screen time at like 6 or 7 p.m. most of the time but I can't do mornings mornings I definitely because of time zones and I'm talking to people around the world I do grab my phone at the beginning of the day and check if there's anything I've like missed forgotten or any kind of fires so my own personal fires yeah the screen time at night made a huge difference for me do you find that you sleep better because of that Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I don't rely on any one sleep aid. I mean, sometimes nothing at all. Sometimes melatonin, sometimes mm-hmm. uh, Benadryl, you know, mm-hmm. the different things to sort of, I mean, I tried every prescription thing yeah. under the sun. Have you tried but, CBD uh, oil? Cause that's still pretty accessible in the U S right? CBD oil. Yeah. 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 No, I, I am using it regularly while I'm here in the States and awesome. sadly, yeah. sadly I'll be leaving it behind when I get on the plane. I, I sound like it. I'm, I, I'm not on the influence of anything at the moment, but uh, I'm a big, <laughs> big, big advocate of the <laughs> in general. Yeah. No, we bought some, I heard, uh, oh gosh, was it Joe Rogan or Tim Ferriss or something? I heard a lot of people yeah. talking about it for a while and I do have problems falling asleep at night. And so I bought it when we were on a vacation, like a long vacation in Japan. Mm-hmm. Because it's yeah. there. And so I right. bought it, had it delivered to our hotel and tried it out for a week. And I was like, okay. Yeah. Why is this illegal yeah. where I live right now? This I, is not I, fair. <laughs> very sad. And I guess we could, yeah, I mean, 
I, I have been in two pretty major car accidents, oh. uh, neither one of which my fault, but I have a bunch of issues. Plus been a big guy on and off and I've done very physical, the boom operator thing is a very physical job and, yeah. you know, and sitting and editing is actually yep. terrible for your back. And so I've had all these things that are just, you know, basically my, my back and legs and I'm just going to old man for a second, but basically that's, that's one thing that makes a massively positive difference. Yeah. Guys, you it's know, derived from rope. Okay, just derived from you know. You can you is, can drive it from the plants that don't have any 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 fun time at all. The plants that you make rope from. They talk about internet addiction, but honestly, I've just realized by you saying this, and I talk about this a lot, but I don't actually address it specifically. The physicalness of being on a screen that long. Sure, totally. I really that, don't explicitly address that, but I have my own issues too from things off screen that affect my on screen time from on screen stuff, eye stuff, different wrist yeah. stuff. Yeah. yeah well, I'm wearing these reading glasses. I'm wearing these glasses now and I, yeah. I, I had fighter pilot eyeballs up until about two, three years ago. All of a sudden I need these for reading. Yeah. I had LASIK surgery before I started and stopped a PhD program. And that's when I started using reading glasses again, because it was too much time online, um, reading videos, creating stuff. Just, yeah, it was nuts. It was nuts. Yeah. Never do yeah. a PhD program. No, I didn't say that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. It's too late for me. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it, no, it, it's a weird, weird existence. Hello, everyone. I'm Eva Yu. I was a tech journalist in Israel, Silicon Valley, South Korea, and China for five years. And last year, I left my job and I started a cycling journey from Shanghai to London, interviewing the tech entrepreneurs on the ancient Silk Road. And I was on the uh, episode 71 at Virtual Expats. And it says a uh, South Korean journalist who has lived in Ecuador, US, UK, and China. And so currently I'm writing a book about the cycling trip. And I plan to donate the proceeds from the book to Turkey. So if you want to get in touch with me, my email is evayour at gmail.com. So it's E-V-A-Y-O-O-A-R-E at gmail.com. And my YouTube channel is Seek Road, which is S-E-E-K-R-O-A-D. And my website is seekroad.co. So it's not .com, it's C-O. And um, let's get back to Brandon's virtual express story. Thank you. Where are we? Oh, we're still in the U.S. Can we jump over to China well, or is there anything sure, else? In the sure, of course. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you moved to China in 2016. Yeah. What would you say is the well, biggest? Well, yeah, back and forth. I mean, I first went there 20, th- thir- tw- yeah, 2013. 2013, so okay. Exposure so to first China. time you moved, you moved. I mean, like a month at like a month at a time. I and mean, I wasn't like, you know, okay. was like, fair enough, fair enough. But living, you were... living like a local. I was. So what was the biggest shift in what you did online when you first went there in 2013? Oh. Sure. So there's the obvious to anyone who knows China um, with reality that the the things you take for granted, the rest Mm -hmm. of the world are blocked. No Google anything. Gmail still worked at the time okay, but even now Gmail is kind of a disaster. So Gmail, Google Drive, Google, 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 Mm -hmm. whatever, not going to happen. Obviously, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and and did you have a VPN back then? Immediately. I did. And I'd been using them before because of travel and security sometimes for work Mm -hmm. and being wary of open hotspots for travel. So I was already using VPNs before moving. Yeah. So, so that was, you know, that's the obvious difference. And then of course, I mean, the, 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 the thing I miss more than anything is just Google search. Jumping way ahead, there's the controversy. Look, I appreciate their principles. I'm, I'm, I'm in Palo Alto right now. Right. 
Mountain View. It's like two stops on the freeway. Mm-hmm. I get it. I'm a huge democracy and free speech. I, you know, I'm on board with pretty much most of the progressive agenda. But having said that, I really wish that the people who don't want good, I, I, I hope every day that Google does like a China version of a search because we need it. We need it. We don't have any good options. And so I, I think they should be able to do a localized version. And, and you know, people scream. And, they do and have an AI lab in Shanghai. Marin. Yeah. Yeah. No, they do. But so, I mean, they they're in China, but... Right, but they're but yeah. having their service. I mean, having a Google search, even if they agree to filters, you know. I mean, sharing the data would be yeah. the issue. But so yeah. I'm not with that. But I would be on board. Yeah. But they filtered a limited. You know, you put in midget porn and you yeah. don't get any results. I'm okay with that. <laughs> you know, you put well, in that would ruin my day. I don't. You I don't put know. in. I know. It's a, how are you going to carry on? Well, fortunately, you know, fortunately you have an industrial access, as yeah. I'm saying. Uh, you have secrets um, that you can access that site if you need to. But yeah, so just for day-to-day stuff, I wish there was Google. But but so, uh, uh, you know, I'd already been using WeChat. WeChat mm-hmm. launched in English. I mean, I, I speak a little. I have decent, you know, like taxi and like like basically like DD and restaurant Chinese, but I can't mm-hmm. read and write. I mean, I know some characters. I know the basic numbers, but but I can't read or write functionally. So WeChat in English was a thing. I was using it in LA in 2012. And uh, yeah, and so I was already, already had good WeChat game going to China because I had um, I had a Chinese partner at the time and a lot of Chinese students. I taught producing in LA uh, as well and some Chinese colleagues. And so, you know, but so really embracing WeChat and mm-hmm. losing almost everything else was the big, big, big shift. And feeling disconnected and cut off, you know. I mean, there yeah. were upsides because you felt free of the noise. Although I still got notifications. Those still went through. So I still felt. <laughs> well, that's it rude. It is. <laughs> Having to like turn those off is you know most of it you don't care, but then it's oh well, what's this? I got to check out that and blah blah blah, and I couldn't because the VPNs were super spotty. And again, that's a, that's his own story. No, it is. It is. I got kicked off Twitter more times than I'd like to say last year, and I, so I slowly my not so slowly migrated over to Instagram, which I actually like right now. But Twitter has much more of like when I want to read stuff online. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's much more where I want to be, but it was just so hard to keep recertifying because of quote unquote security reasons. And I'm like, Oh, okay. Um, so, you know, I'm in China. Okay. But just stop, please. Just stop. Yeah. It, it's become, it, and, and I've been struck recently with recent travels and other things. That's the biggest shift is you, you weren't using a lot of the, the West non-Chinese media apps and whatnot, but you were using WeChat a lot. Yeah. It, it was a slow migration and yeah. yeah and now I've got all the basic Chinese apps that everybody mm-hmm. has. I know how to use stuff and, yeah. and my girlfriend is Chinese. And so she's, you know, between my old assistant or, my my girlfriend who you know trying not to bother too much but stuff but like i know like i use meituan waimai for food because i know where all the buttons are my address is all entered and saved and you know so once in a while when there's an issue you know but when i'm back in china it's yeah. either get together with her or if i'm with a chinese friend or if i'm working with inging you know i need like yeah. an upgrade i'll get i'll, I'll find a, a chinese a trusted chinese friend and uh have them help me Don't nothing look. more empowering than as a grown person than having someone help you do oh my gosh that a child could do the simplest of things <laughs> like knowing which button to press at my sushi restaurant when i have to request a number for waiting oh okay I'm like nice. i'm a child right now i just keep pressing buttons <laughs> and then when they call me i just point to the one i want and ignore the fact that i yeah. pressed the wrong i one. want this many yeah. you hold up your fingers <laughs> it's so bad 
It's so, yeah, yeah. language issues are definitely humbling. <laughs> well, I, I, I joke on, I, I joke that my superpower is impressing and then confusing native Mandarin speak because yeah. I could, you know, the, the, the same basic stuff that we say all the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can say all that, you know, and pretty yeah. accurate, you know, somebody will driver will, will think that they'll say in Chinese comedian, Jesse Appel, who's great. He has this, I, I'm paraphrasing a bit of his to, he has a thing where he'll talk about, he'll, Check in with somebody, you know, say something really basic, and they say, "Oh, like, your Chinese is so good." And it's yeah. like, "No, no, no, it's very basic." His, is, he's actually totally fluent, so that's what's funny. But, but yeah, yeah, for me, I can legitimately, no, 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 oh, boy, shua zhong wan. I was what? <laughs> <laughs> just said, I just said I don't speak Chinese in Chinese. Oh, well, boy, shua zhong wan. Up to a certain point, you were a user of the internet. When did you start creating stuff and putting it online? Oh, okay. So actually, you know, pretty early on because mm-hmm. even back in Atlanta, when I switched from production work to mm-hmm. post-production work, from being on set as a techn- technician to being the editor and like a junior producer, mm-hmm. I, I worked at this production company in Atlanta and I was yeah. an editor for four years. And I did, I also did sound when we had it come up for shoots, but I mean, I was transitioning to, to helping produce into editing. So I would make stuff and I made little music videos and funny comedy bits and sketches in early days of, you know, really? before YouTube, there were site, there were all these like video sites, these social what video were those? I don't know that I was on I videos much before this. Blanking about names of yeah. a lot of these, but yeah, when YouTube finally became a thing. I mean, I was, yeah, I, my old channel that I don't use, there would be all kinds of old, funny, goofy things mm-hmm. that I put on. So, yeah, I mean, in that sense, there were things that I uploaded, but one thing was actually, I mean, now, you know, going, becoming popular and viral. I mean, it's, it means it's millions fairly instantly mm-hmm. is what that means. Yeah. But back in the day, I had a thing that kind of went like light viral, which was that it <laughs> got over 50, it got about 50,000 likes within a matter of a few weeks, which wow. was a big deal. And it was a video, it was a like a one take performance video. A wizard guitar player friend of mine, Rook Overman, playing a piece, and we lit it kind of funky. And I was, it's like it was kind of hypnotic, sort of a trancey thing he did on guitar, yeah. like echo and stuff. And it was like you know slow pushes in and tilts and pans and pulling it, you know, zooming out. And anyway, because his performance is amazing, not because of my great video, but but um, because his performance is really special, right. a lot of there were some sites who featured it. So back then that meant, oh, hey, look, I got five or 10,000 uh, likes and plays. Now, now if the same thing happens at a meaningful level, I mean, you're talking, you know, tens of millions, but Anyway, Five or ten thousand. I don't have anything up there. I don't have anything in the in the millions. Well, okay. So you've done behind the scenes stuff and in front of the camera and in front of the mic and stuff. Is there yeah. a spot where you're where you feel more comfortable as a creator? Wherever I am uniquely contributing, wherever mm-hmm. it's something that yeah, maybe somebody else could do it, but it's going to be fundamentally different because of their contribution. I don't have a giant love of being on camera and I have, this is part of my whole professional, even part of my reckoning of the last year up to now Mm -hmm. has been out reconciling how much I want to be face forward or not. Oh, uh, oh no, that's that's a big, that's a big thing. What that was a very powerful, deep sentence that you just said. Can we dig into that? Sure. The reckoning. The reckoning. What is that? What happened? What? Well, well, okay. So whatever I'll you try. feel comfortable I, sharing. Okay. <laughs> I, I'm happy to share. I just don't want to bore your listeners to tears um, or overshare, uh, which 
I can promise none of those things. I'll let you decide in the edit. Um, <laughs> this is sort of my own my own metaphysics, so what I've been working out for myself, and so I don't know how fascinating it is. But I guess the short version of this is because I'm doing this other show. I'm doing uh, when we were talking about the shows that I do. Mm-hmm. I think that was in our pregame. I don't think I really kind of addressed that briefly. So, yeah, we go over here. Those? So, so I could just, I could tick through really fast. So I do a podcast that I'm sure you probably linked or whatever called yep, um, it'll Big, be Fish in the in the Kingdom, mm-hmm. Big Fish in the Middle Kingdom. And it's all about people who've, you know, moved or returned to China to do things that are ambitious, basically. And it was focused on, you know, China, China side expats or Chinese who have returned, right? Mm-hmm. The, uh, what's the for them, but the returning fish, basically the mm-hmm. returning sea turtles who've gone abroad and studied and come back. Mm-hmm. And Love doing that show. Really satisfying. Made a lot of great friends and 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 had some amazing conversations. Love doing that show. That led to doing How China Works because I wanted to do a show that was a conversation with not like it was a regular conversation mm-hmm. with me, one other person, and not just me and a different guest every week. But How China Works is a show that I created and co-host with Inging Lee, who's this amazingly talented awesome. cross-cultural communicator. Yeah. Really big fan of her work. I had her on my show, Big Fish in the Middle Kingdom, and that's what led ultimately to, I wanted to do a show with a Chinese co-host, and that's mm-hmm. what led to branding this idea with her. And I love doing that show, and then now as my work and travels have taken me around more, I mean, China's still like my home home, mm-hmm. but my film and TV work, my, my development work's not there, and that's a whole conversation. But essentially, I'm working more in the West, mm-hmm. and my, my development is in Los Angeles or actually in Paris, which is exciting with this movie that I'm working on. So cool, yeah. So if we get this together, then it'll be there. So I've long been wanting, as much as I love Big Fish in the Middle Kingdom, I've really wanted to create something that I could do that was more portable. Mm-hmm. And so I came up with this new idea where I took parts. I mean, it's very similar, but I have this new show that I'm launching the first full episode of. I know you're, you're recording, you know, where I've been in the can by the time this comes out, there'll be a lot of these shows up, but I have this show called if I knew you better. And the idea is that even if I know the person I'm asking them, the kind of questions you would ask in like late night, the guards down, you're feeling candid, ask the kind of questions I'd ask if I knew you better. And the idea is to get into the deeper stuff of life without being too navel gaze about it. But but to be able to to have those you know kind of more more meaningful conversations more reflective mm-hmm. conversations with people who have a lot to say that's the reckoning so part of it was realizing it was a, it was a really hard decision to in fish as a regular thing cuz i mean it means a lot to me even if you know it has its loyal audience mm-hmm. there are a few thousand people who are very fortunate and thankful that they like the show and pay attention to the show on a regular basis and some of them but not all of them have come along to how china works some of them you know a lot of them be guests on that show but i mean if it's they don't need to know that they already know a lot of that information so yeah. they're not listening to that show and i just from wanting to travel and wanting to talk to people and not me not wanting to be limited to china the reckoning yeah. was related to me in china and just my professional transformation, the arc of going from, I mean, because I didn't move there to produce. I, mm-hmm. I moved there to, to entertainment business consulting by my, and to switch environments and to learn more, actually to work on my language, which I've done intermittently, but not mm-hmm. like I need recently. But the, the move was about a lot of things, mm-hmm. but I didn't plan to write and produce there necessarily. Mm-hmm. I plan to do to write there, but then do make stuff other places. And that's pretty much how it's working out. I have done mm-hmm. some things 
to I've done a lot of corporate video, things like that. Mm-hmm. I directed a thing for Chinese television last year. Right. But the reckoning was without going deep down each of those individual threads, I mentioned these things kind of in passing to say that coming to terms with where China is and its evolution of what it needs from foreigners, you know, they have learned you know, this the Chinese folks are like, mm-hmm. you know, smart people anywhere have learned and adapted and they have people to do the things that need to be done. And so if you are established enough and basically they, they care about esteem, they want people who really have a giant pedigree mm-hmm. for the roles that they have foreigners in. And if you aren't really pedigreed, they don't care. And, you know, I have just enough, you know, things on the, on the, on the CV that I can do certain things. But in terms of comfortably producing there, it's basically impossible. Um, mm-hmm. So the reckoning was my own reckoning with, okay, I moved here with certain expectations. Mm-hmm. And even with the qualifiers that I had, because I'd been working with Chinese clients before I ever had my first trip, I produced a show for Chinese TV in LA before I ever went to China the first oh, time. Oh, wow. Okay. So I did, I did a whole series. I produced an EP, a whole series with my team, a yeah. big celebrity interview show in Los Angeles for Chinese TV. What was the uh, show? 13, 13 episodes. It's a show, here's my, my great pronunciation, which loosely translates, yeah. the English name was The Best. And it's about the best writers, directors, actors, producers. And so it's a, it's a interview show. It's a CCTV6 thing. And it's a half hour hosted show, giant rear projection screen with an audience. And they, they use it to try to set up a featured movie of the week. And they'd wanted to do a Hollywood season forever, but they couldn't bring people over because of time difference in the travel and even paying people just like, say, SAG scale, which nobody they want's going to take that lower rate. So basically, to do a show with actual Hollywood people, they needed to come to Hollywood. Through a long story, I was was the guy that got the gig and did it with my team. Um, IMDb credit is not very... Not, not very accurate and full, but we did 13 episodes of it, you know, so I had a, under my belt going to China, which was, mm-hmm. which was help, right? Cause it's, it is a credit that people, people who know Chinese media stuff, like mm-hmm. know this, this reference. And so it's a good reference, but in terms of my own stuff, you know, the, the, the reckoning that I mentioned was about what's my place here. And, you know, I came here to learn certain things, try to do certain mm-hmm. things. And I've done some of those. I've learned a lot more than I ever bargained for. And China is going to be important for the rest of my natural life for, yeah. for the next however many years and probably for a long time. They'll, they'll have a pretty big arc. And I want to be part of that. I want to be part of, you know, whatever's going to be defining the future. I'm to the left of center in terms of anything politically, pretty much and socially, definitely. So, you know, it's, it's, there's a, there's a lot of like biting my tongue and, and holding my nose and, yeah. you know, these, these skill sets that you develop, no matter what your opinions, if you're, you know, have strongly held opinions about anything to do, you know, American wise, yeah. uh, you know, there are certain ways, but, but most people who move there don't, they don't move there because they want to express some patriotic issue. And they're, mm-hmm. they're fairly, they're, they're moving because of their political expertise and how to make something happen, or they're fairly apolitical. So anyway, in terms of reckoning with you, this was about on and off camera stuff. And I got mm-hmm. a little bit more meta and weighty yeah. for me because uh, this is how my brain works. And all that is kind of preamble to say this. If I am making a difference, if, if what I have to say uniquely influences the conversation, then that's what I'm interested in. And sometimes mm-hmm. I'm 
front of the camera, sometimes I'm behind the camera. But ultimately, I want to make cool things happen. I want to make interesting projects happen. I I want to devote my time to doing things. I'm not doing this isn't a hobby. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. a hobby and this is no one's paying me to do this, mm-hmm. right? But I've been a, you know, I, I mean, I media professional puts you me in a more limited box. I mean, I've got, you know, 30 years of film and TV mm-hmm. experience, basically. Mm-hmm. So podcasting for me is an outgrowth of that type of communication mm-hmm. and storytelling and formativeness. Yeah. Can't you tell I'm a storyteller? I say things like that. Yeah, there's so much to unpack from what you just said. And and this is part of why I I wanted you on this podcast is because when I listen to your work, I feel like it grounds me in a way. It's partially your voice, but it's partially your soul if I can get all creepy Um, because you're very... Unless you want to eat my soul, then it's not creepy. No, 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 no. What? Wear my skin... I don't know. No. I make a good throw rug. You have this, if I may get meta about your about Big Fish Middle Kingdom, you have this, this really cool balance of like very funny and light and very deep and articulate. And I think that's what keeps me coming back. And that's there oh, whether thanks. you're a solo show or whether you're doing an interview show. And so that that's part of why I was like, oh my gosh, I want to pick his brain about his his virtualness. Oh. Um, well, I'm so, really, I really appreciate it. I, that, I'm glad to be with you and I hope it's useful for your listeners and you know I do free associate a bit but that's how we get to the good stuff usually that's conversation that's what or happens it's just, just, just hopefully entertaining but, but that, that, I'm not that, just trying to be a smart ass basically I'm trying to get at something but I don't always have the yeah the nugget in three words to deliver you know Oh, we don't have to. That's the beauty of long form is you don't have to get it into three words. But that flexibility that you talked about from what you wanted from China or your yeah. Chinese, your experience in China to what you uh, came to in your reckoning, that flexibility right. in adjusting mm-hmm. what you're doing, how you're doing yeah. it, and geographically, how often you're going to be here while doing it, that's brilliant. Right. And that's something that as expats we have to do because we don't we don't have yeah, a lot of the benefits. About us. We're, the, we're the guests. Yeah. We're the guests. No matter how long you live there, or you, exactly. you could be really dug in. You could have a blended family with a local. I mean, yeah. you could be. Doesn't matter. You know, We're not yeah, from you here. Be, and that's true everywhere. As possible, but yeah, you're always going to be. Yeah. You could and be the most inside outsider, but you're still. And that's true everywhere. That's not a distinctly a Chinese thing. I talk to expats from all over, and I have for. Mm-hmm. I've been picking bra- people's brains about this crap for years. I just never realized I should hit the report but record button and capture it. Um, nice. But it's it's everywhere. If you're not local, you're not local, and you're always going right. to be an outsider, no matter how much you assimilate. And there's goods and bads yeah. that come that come from that. But that mm-hmm. flexibility is absolutely key to sanity. Yeah, and yeah. I I realized the thing that I was. I, that's kind of my process, what I just did, where I sort of had to, you know, just discuss it, right? Because I I had that as an exact question. And so the reckoning for me was about why am I here? Okay. I won't even try to make all the bad jokes about existential crisis, but why, why am I here in Mm -hmm. China specifically? I mean, I'm Mm -hmm. not at the moment. Palo Alto, but why be there and what am I getting out of it? And the reality is that it was useful and instructive and now it's time to move on and mm-hmm. move back to what I do. In, in my business, I used to be someone, I, I've spent a lot of time, mm-hmm. a lot of money, a lot of blood, sweat and tears and effort in developing different co-productions related to China. I've mm-hmm. developed Chinese only projects mm-hmm. with where I was the only Lao Wai, where I was, you know, the, the Chinese company with well-connected, like the appropriate kinds of connections and, and et cetera, like to do things, not people mm-hmm. that are wannabes or, or, you know, beginners on stuff. And, and nothing again, if that's where you are, that's great. I, I'm not, there's no judgment. I'm just saying I'm dealing, you know, dealing with other established 
yeah. professional. And still, even with the best of intentions, like basically I have learned an extraordinary amount, but the learning curve that China still has to do mm-hmm. and that to integrate China versus the Western way film and TV works, okay? Mm-hmm. I hope to be, continue to be part of this conversation, but I'm no longer interested in pushing that rock uphill yeah. because I have to, you know, I've got a, you know, I'm trying to raise a, I'm trying to raise a pretty big kid here, right? This guy right here. So, (laughs) I mean, I've got to play to my strengths. And so, you know, there was an adventure aspect of the the overly probably romanticized aspect of, oh, I'm going to, you know, I can fit in this unique way. And to a degree, I fit into a way I wasn't needed in certain things. I mean, because I, you know, I have just enough kind of weird, unique combination of skills and experience and, and credit and whatnot that I could operate in certain ways, still, it's not satisfying. It's not satisfying. So the accommodations we constantly make there, oh, okay, well, the VPNs are down, but we can do this. Oh, we can't get this thing we really need, but we can do this thing that's kind of similar, kind of yeah. close. Kind of, yeah. I, I'm sick of all that. I'm sick of all that. And so been, it's been instructive to deal with limitations. Mm-hmm. But as much as I'm looking forward to coming back and like, you know, seeing my girlfriend, seeing my place, and we don't live together. I mean, I have an empty apartment. Hopefully, I mean, I prepaid enough power because it's a thing. You got to prepay, right? I prepaid power. I should have oh. power for, for the year, basically. Okay. I've been paying rent. I've, I paid for a season of rent. I've It's been more than a complete season since I've been home. And I, pay, I paid like full cycle of rent. So for me, the reckoning was about thinking yeah. of it in terms of where am I maximizing what I do? And so I went through trying to make it work in a certain mm-hmm. way in China, trying to trying to bridge those gaps and, and having mm-hmm. some success doing it, yeah. but being really dissatisfied ultimately with the results. So my, my particular tale is one of continuing to keep like my, my, my little lily pad there in Beijing, keep my spot, love my place. I'd be happy to keep it kind of for the duration as my mm-hmm. place in Beijing. But in terms of... Long term, I mean, life is taking me elsewhere. In so many ways, it's like trying to do anything with one arm tied behind your back all the time. Yeah, I know that if I was totally fluent, it would mm-hmm. be the same thing. Yeah, I mean, you have to self-censor and you have to mm-hmm. accommodations There's- constantly. There are a lot of human benefits. You know, I mean, my empathy has, has shot through the roof in mm-hmm. a lot of ways. Because, you know, you have empathy for your fellow person yeah. and you have empathy for uh, less fortunate people and, and you know, live, living in China and even being like a, being a middle-class white guy mm-hmm. for China. I mean, you know, you're fortunate to see, you know, I have a lot of friends who are very successful in, mm-hmm. in China, uh, Chinese, Chinese friends, mm-hmm. and to see the extremes, you know, having, I mean, I've traveled a lot through fourth and fifth year cities and, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's oh. a, it's a humbling thing, to, you know, but I, I wouldn't trade it for anything, but I'm not, my life isn't to be a documentarian of them. Hey everyone, just let me break into Brendan's virtual expat story here for a bit to mention a podcast you might be interested in. What podcast? My podcast. I'm Greg longtime expat and creator and co-host of the Bangkok Podcast. Every week, my good friend Ed and I release a new show that explores one aspect of life in Thailand's capital. From chat-style shows about understanding Thai culture, finding a place to live and dealing with reverse culture shock, to interview shows with linguists, politicians, celebrities, and Buddhist monks, we help you understand Bangkok like no other show can. Check it out at bangkokpodcast.com. All right, back to Brendan. 
part of what you were talking about is being true to your creative self and you're willing to compromise to some extent, but you have to only do it to the extent where it still is grounding and productive and and a part of reflecting who you are and what you're doing. Right. Having said that, you have three very different podcasts out there right now. Who do you see as your audience? Who are you talking to in these different projects? So with Big Fish in Middle Kingdom, I think it was a combination and it is to some extent. I'm still going to put a show up there when I have like the perfect guest. It'll be kind of an irregular thing. I'll use it for my my China check-ins that are, you know, more personal or self-indulgent basically than what I do on How China Works because that's (laughs) an interview show. So I'll do, I'll do catch up episodes with mm-hmm. like my, my friends on how China works. I know that the audience is slash was heavy on people who already can relate. Either they mm-hmm. are China based expats mm-hmm. or they're Chinese people who deal with expats or they're expats someplace else, or they're just, you know, foreigners who are curious. I mean, they're, they're, they're in another country, but mm-hmm. they're curious about mostly about China yeah. or they're considering doing an expat thing themselves or mm-hmm. they did a back wistfully some comment mm-hmm. some version of that and that's great and i'm very happy for anyone listening for whatever reason but a bonus for me has been hearing from people who have no particular china interest I and mean, they stumbled mm-hmm. in for some other reason but like the kind of conversations that i would have with the mm-hmm. given guest and because i've had such a huge range of people and as all of us who do podcasts on a regular basis you end up talking to a ton of different people if you're mm-hmm. lucky and you know you have a combination of luck with scheduling and then work at it i've had such a range of people that i might have somebody who's just a stone cold expert on something or is known for something and maybe that's why somebody discovered my show and the fact that we're talking about a China-related angle on Big Fish was kind of incidental to that person. Right. So that's that's cool. Um, with How China Works, the first season was done as a crash course in how to be China smart. And so we had we took that approach. We heavily researched and, and outlined the first 40, mm-hmm. uh, 40 <laughs> episodes of that. And then now we switched into doing interviews. And because I've been traveling, we've been able to do some three-way interviews where there's like you know Skype involved. But Mostly it's been interviewing people solo and then she and I would discuss before and or after. I would send in questions that she would, you know, has asked sometimes mm-hmm. of the guests. So I'm kind of represented in the interview. But so for that show, it's people who are trying to make sense of China with a real stake in it. And then it's for Chinese people who are trying to go global. And that's our angle on that show. For foreigners who want to be China smart or Chinese who want to go global. Right. So understand better how the outside world looks at your culture, mm-hmm. use things from your culture to relate it to well, here's what's different in the West yeah. and blah, blah, blah. So it's a way to help people have have something they can grab onto on either side to right. understand the other a little right. better to try to improve understanding. And so, um, and then with this new, with If I Knew You Better, it is meant to be just my sort of more universal long form chat show where we get into deeper subjects without being pretentious about it. But I mean, where we're going to, you know, talk about the real whys of things and, and dig in and talk about failures and what you learned and things you've been credit for that you don't feel like you fully earned and why. When you were creating the most recent one, if, if I knew you better, what were you thinking about who might be listening? I really hope that it is as broadly interesting as possible. You know, mm-hmm. it's my version of like a Mark Marin type of a show mm-hmm. um, or Tim Ferriss or, you know, a less than three hour Joe Rogan, mm-hmm. uh, you know, with probably less talking about 
on it gym equipment. And things. <laughs> You know, with, with with less plugging, it was psychedelics, and, and I have no judgments. I'm a big fan, no. but he's holding the fort down pretty well. Yeah. Um. So it, it's it's meant to be more, you know. And, and with with this new show, I mean, I'm just going to say this, uh, and hopefully it doesn't come off in a in the wrong way. But I'm basically going to be trying to get people with a bigger profile. You now I want the show to be heard by a wide audience ultimately, yeah. because yeah. it is meant to be a professional endeavor. And, um, so I'm wanting it to possibly have the biggest audience and then who's actually listening depends on what someone's interest is in the given, um, guest who I'm talking with. Mm -hmm. And it is, you know, it's a conversation. So it's my approach here is again, is more Mark Mara and less Mm -hmm. Larry King, who is a genius. He's one of the references for how to interview people, Mm -hmm. but he's like the old school. It's not about him at all. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's always a bit of me in here just because mm-hmm. I've had such a weird kind of a random, like kind of a, you know, kind of a Forrest Gump in, in the entertainment business or something with these random situations I've ended up in. So it's not entertainment specific, although it's going to skew a little heavy, especially in these first dozen or so episodes, sure. just because that's, I've been taking advantage of my travels to interview yeah. people. And my yeah. travels are because of entertainment. So yeah. there's actors, directors, yeah. producers. But, um, yeah, there's, I've got like a you know, businessman. I've got, I've got some other people that have nothing to do with entertainment. I did about almost a year of podcasting before I started interviewing and I went into it resistantly. But at first I thought it would be cheating if I interviewed people I knew. And then I realized that was the silliest thing on earth. Cause I mean, part of being an expat and living in different places and meeting really cool people, as I'm sure you have too, is, oh my gosh, wait a minute. I can actually bring them onto the podcast and have a lot of people enjoy their awesomeness, not just me and our, you know. That's absolutely one of the benefits that I've enjoyed from this too, mm-hmm. because whether it was with Big Fish and I knew some pretty interesting people already mm-hmm. back in China and, you know, stand-up comedians and actors and some China business, like entertainment business people who were old China hands and had a lot to say. And so I knew people who I, who I just knew would be either fun or funny or super interesting and valuable to share their info with people. And so that's completely what drove me to get big fish going in the first place. And it's just increased from there. And with how China works, Inging, because she is really very, very friendly and fun, but she's very serious, you know, and is known as this cross-cultural speaker and thinker. Mm -hmm. And so she's bringing on weightier academic type folks or really successful business people or, you know, people who have really a pedigree in their field. And so it's, it's gone from like interesting people without always having, I mean, they have, you know, whatever their credentials are, but, but so how China works, it's kind of up the game with a certain type of guest. And so with this, with this new show, I'm also wanting to be able to bring on people who, I mean, there'll probably be some, you know, probably some famous names mm-hmm. at a certain point. There are definitely people who are known in their industries already or some of the people I'm recording. Sure, sure. So, um, yeah, I want I want to hear from people who I want to share that information with other people, you know, what from, from folks who have really accomplished something that's just quite out of the ordinary, okay. ideally. Yeah. That's what I'm interested in. Okay, I've skipped the biggest elephant in the room possible. You've gone from film to podcasting. Um, it sounds like the medium doesn't matter, but just out of curiosity, how, what are the differences that you've noticed in what are the differences that you've noticed 
in the switch from the film medium to podcasting medium. And actually you started with music. So from music to film to podcasting, oh, what, are the, what are the biggest differences in creating these creatures? So the, so the biggest differences between these three different mediums are that, of course, with music, it's this complete expression and it's functioning heavily on an emotional level because it's music. And so that, that reaches people a different way. With uh, film and TV, and so I haven't switched from film and TV. I added podcasting to the mix, yeah. and, and I'm correcting that because the that's the that's part of my own reckoning was having to be super clear about that because you know I've spent this lifetime basically um, developing film and t- TV chops and 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 you know credentials and skills, and so. Um, podcasting is an outgrowth of being frustrated by the film and TV business in China because I've said this before on my own shows and I think I've said it talking with other people on interviews, but I started podcasting for a lot of reasons, but one of the biggest personal reasons, I mean, so they're all the high minded things and, you know, sharing these people, meeting, sharing them with the world and really enjoying those conversations and keeping myself in practice was related to this, but essentially it was as a mental health exercise because it takes forever to do film and TV projects. And with podcasting, though it's quite humble and modest, you know, it's, it's, I mean, I'm the whole shop at this point. So I'm the producer and the host and I edit my own stuff and I can't see a way not doing that basically. At the, the way that I do a show now, I can't see handing it off to somebody. And also, I mean, I have the skills, I have the professional abilities to do all that, but it's about the creative choices, right? Of what you keep or what you lose and how you do it. Although I like, I love nothing more than an interview that literally I top and tail it. I trim the top, trim the back, and there are no edits in between. That's my favorite thing in the world. And I have a fair amount of those, especially on this new show. I have very few edits so far in the, in the shows I've been recording. So a mental health exercise, because although it's couldn't be more modest, it's a little production that I can do the whole thing. Mm-hmm. I can do, you know, every week, top to bottom, beginning to end, I could do it. I could deliver. I could ship a thing. And that's that's been the most personally satisfying aspect mm-hmm. of it. But, you know, film and TV is is basically the world's most collaborative mm-hmm. art form. And requires the most people and the biggest budgets and et cetera, et cetera. So podcasting is the polar opposite of that. And so it doesn't scratch all the same itches, but it has a place in the in the personal mm-hmm. universe of these things. Mm-hmm. Right, 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 right. I actually, in my head, even though I said switched, I did mean where you were going with adding podcasting to the mix. So apologies about that. But oh, none, I, none taken, none, none taken. Yeah. I completely Please. and utterly understand the frustrating part. Like I said, I started a PhD program and left because, um, and part of why my language podcast exists is because of my frustration with, uh, not to get too into it, but my frustration with language learning in the academic realm and how isolated and small it is and how it doesn't help the language learner. So I completely and utterly understand that part of podcasting. You mentioned being co-located. How the heck do you juggle all of these things with being in two places? Well, not very well, or frankly. Three or four places. <laughs> <laughs> not as well as I would like. Um, the tricky part, my, my favorite you know, sometimes people, you know, when you get a great new app that you love and you want, oh, do you have this or have you tried that? Mm-hmm. I have, I mean, I don't need to advertise for them, but but on my, it's a 
iOS app. I think they have an Android version. This it's, it's my, my app called time scroller. Mm-hmm. It's just my little, it's my clock for planning meetings and this and that, and you can add, you know, places. So that's what I use all the time. So, so, yeah. the, so how do I deal with it? Um, I write everything down. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, I've developed a calendar system. I, you know, the, the tricky part is, I mean, there's the coordinating of the timing because too late is not good because yeah. I'm usually zonked and too early is not good because I'm not awake. Depending on where I am, that's the tricky part in terms of doing podcasts. In terms of my life, that's what I've been dealing with. For me, the great part is that you can be connected no matter where you are. And of course, the downside is that you have to, to assert yourself even if just to yourself about these are my boundaries and this is mm-hmm. how I'm going to deal with certain things mm-hmm. uh, in terms of what are your, what are, you know, I, this concept of work hours, mm-hmm. There's, I have a concept yeah. of office hours mm-hmm. and you're laughing because you live in China and, <laughs> and, and the boundaries are, you Very know, fluid. Are, are not so much. Yes. A fluid's a good word. Um, and what color is that liquid? And is it in my face? <laughs> that's, that's, that's the reality of the fluidity. <laughs> Yeah. of the work hours. It's slightly vulgar, but uh, hopefully it was generic enough that it can still be funny and make the point without grossing too many people out. But that's the, that's the re- result. You know, mm-hmm. my, my Chinese friends, it's like, oh yeah, so hey, this is, hey, random thing, which mm-hmm. I, I hear these stories and here's my version of it in English. Okay, because we don't know what we're doing and we don't know how to plan and there's no, we have no respect for your life, we're all going to be working here until we're done and that mm-hmm. might just be 12 straight days and it might be 18 hour days. Mm-hmm. Yay. Yay. Fight, fight, fight. That's my version of that. That's a bunch of horse shit in my opinion. There you go. <laughs> That's what I think about that. That's what I think about 996. That's the work culture of the tech environment. It's starting to finally get some pushback. It's like, oh, you work 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. six days a week. Much more often, you know, you go in and you're there super late. And then sometimes you're, you're not, you're quite often there on the seventh day. And, you know, it's, it's a big conversation and people yeah. do like really weighty podcasts and people are, people are writing their dissertation right now about these are the sacrifices China must make as it seeks to, you know, catch up with the world and accelerate and dominate. Okay, that's great. If that's your trip, you, you do you. You, 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 do, you do you, all right. But, uh, but meanwhile, so, so that's my, I mean, and I'm having a little fun saying all this. I'm, I'm yeah. not really that full of myself. People who know me, I mean, I got a giant smile on my face. You can even see what this laptop glow. I don't mean any of this in a self, too self-important pretentious way. Yeah. Uh, it's easy enough to do that, which is yeah. part of the reckoning of yourself. But if you're lucky to be a, you know, a privileged type expat as opposed mm-hmm. to a refugee, which is, you know, something that's a topic that comes right. up on some of our friends shows a lot. Yeah. 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 So that, that's, that's part of my come to Jesus meeting for myself was what am I here to do? Why mm-hmm. am I doing it? What's important? What yeah. do I care about? What do I not care about? Like what, you know, yeah. what are my values? That's what, that's what everybody's trying to figure out these days. Yeah. And the reality is that, I mean, I, when I come back to China, part of what I say, I've had my moments where it's been more rude and, and, and I don't want to be that kind of guy. I mean, mm-hmm. to me, it's funny to be so blatant sometimes when there's so much effort to be very, you know, mannered and cool. But I mean, I am not available 24 hours a day, Good. regardless. I'm not available 24 hours a day. You know, I, I'm not a brain surgeon. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not, I'm not like a transplant surgeon on standby, right? To hop on the helicopter and put it in the <laughs> kidney on somebody who needs to be available. I, I mean, I yeah. make film and TV and I do, and I, and I talk in a mic. For me, having some control of that is, is absolutely crucial. And I'm fortunate that I basically work mm-hmm. for myself so I can do that. But I mean, I end up on projects or where I'm 
partnered with people or hired by people to do things. And then of course you have to respect deliverables and this and that. But I I don't do China work style anymore. I don't do it. I don't do it. Not interested. I don't have to. So I've taken my ball and I've been going back to, you know, back to, back to LA. I Mm -hmm. mean, just spent better part of a month in Paris developing a project, which is great. Hopefully it happens. But yeah, so when I'm back in China in a weird way, it's going to be, it's waiting for the next big development Mm -hmm. on a project to take me back out of China. And meanwhile, Mm -hmm. I'll be doing my podcasts in my own time. But, but I have my alerts, like on my phone, 10 to Mm -hmm. 10 are the hours that I get messages from the world. I don't, I, I, I don't get alerts for that other time. I just, I don't get them. You know, I can find them if I go to the special screen, you know, and, and, and there's ways, I mean, if there's something that's crucial, there are ways people, you, you can dial the number in the phone ring at any 24 hours a day because almost nobody has my number. And if yeah. they do, then they better, they better know not to call it at yeah. 3 a.m. Just, Hey, what are you doing? Uh, <laughs> plotting ways to kill you. How about you? What are you up to? <laughs> you <know? laughs> So yeah. it sounds like over the time that you've been in China that there's been not just an, an offline kind of reevaluating of what you're doing yeah. and when you'll do it, but also an online evaluating with your screen completely, time. And your, completely. Yeah. So there's, there's a really beautiful symmetry of what you've said about those two, your offline and your online life and the, the boundaries and, and, and introspection that you've done with those. Do you think that would have happened had you not moved overseas? I've thought about, I mean, I, too much kind of to do when you're, when, when you're busy, you don't have time to think about it. When you're not busy, you have too much time to think about this kind of stuff. And so I've had both plenty. Um, Yes. That the opportunity to be reflective has definitely come up because there, it's been a lot of, I mean, film and TV in general is a hurry up and wait business shoots through that way until you, or needed to do the thing you do, you're sitting around. And then when you're needed, you got to be totally dialed in. You go in there like an assassin and you do your thing and you get out and the next person does their thing. Mm -hmm. So with China, it's been a lot of that reckoning of time management. We were talking earlier and I don't know how this, if this will connect as directly as it does in my brain, but I think the thing that I was, the, the, the button I wanted to put on something that came up earlier relates to what you just said, which is because of my you know, I mean, I've we've done done a few public events, and mm-hmm. there there's a path. There's an alternate universe in which I'm in front of a room with a screen and a clicker in my hand, and going, "Hi, people from so and so company. Let me tell you about working in China." <laughs> click, you know, silent click. Here's the next slide, and blah 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 blah. You know, I could easily be one of those people who's up there, you know chatting about something with PowerPoint and, mm-hmm. and tons of my friends do this. This is not a generic put down. I'm simply saying for me, there, uh, there's an alternate universe. It's the, it's probably right next door to the one that I'm living in mm-hmm. where I'm doing that. And I even had to reconcile, do I want to be a face forward? Mm-hmm. Let me have to care about how my mm-hmm. uh skin look you know let me have to like manage how i look and go out in front of people and do this thing where that's important right mm-hmm. and to be you know, like someone's accessible guide yeah. to those things and so i mean i love to teach i i actually don't when i'm not doing this I, i'm not the chatty guy at the party i'm not that talkative i'm mm-hmm. actually extremely introverted and i play an introvert when we flip on the mics and start doing this stuff <laughs> Or if I have to, you know, in the entertainment business Mm -hmm. for meetings, but otherwise I'm pretty 
quiet, actually. So that was part of, of it. And again, I love China. I love so much Chinese culture. I don't, mm-hmm. again, certain of the practices that are kind of dehumanizing mm-hmm. or soul crushing, such as the work hours and certain things. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not about that, as you would say. But um, other things, I mean, I certainly respect certain things from the culture and sure. the deep history. And so I enjoy being able to be as local as I can. Yeah. You know, and then I just have to I define where my boundaries are about that stuff. And mm-hmm. what do I want to do? And so there's kind of a joke. One of my nicknames in a few circles of my friends is jokingly Hollywood Panda. And, and I mean, I've got friends who are... <laughs> 20, 30 year Hollywood yeah. people dealing with China, Chinese friends who've been in Hollywood mm-hmm. for 20, 30 years. Yeah. They're people far more experienced than me top to bottom on both mm-hmm. cultures. But I am one of these people that has you know, enough experience, enough credit that right. I'm kind of lumped in with some of these folks who all I consider basically mostly mentors um, or I look to that way. And the skill um, to articulate it in the way that yeah. you do, I think. Right, right. And so, and so that's honestly a thing that I sort of had to face is like, mm-hmm. okay, well, there is a career that's adjacent because the reasons I moved, it goes down a big rabbit hole, but I could say without going down that giant rabbit hole, the main reasons I moved were, I mean, it was kind of the adventure that I was looking for. That's not one of the Mm -hmm. reasons. That was the context. There were two things that were happening currently in the film versus TV is very, very different, especially in China. It's a little Mm -hmm. more similar in the West now, but there was this promise, stated promises about the capital markets opening Mm -hmm. up. China. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there was, uh, I'm paraphrasing how I said this to a friend of mine, you know, so, so in terms of the economics of how the film business works there, mm-hmm. there was this expectation across all industries that the financial markets were going to open up mm-hmm. and that was going to make cross-border business, you know, easier. And then the other thing that was developing related to my business mm-hmm. You know, no one thought it was going to be like Paris during the Enlightenment, but there was a feeling that certain mm-hmm. kinds of, you know, liberalization is the wrong word, and that's a four-letter word in China. But there was a feeling that there would be a little bit more relaxing. Okay, we're going to slowly like open up the valve a little bit and let a little more of the outside world into this walled garden. Yeah. And then starting in 2018, both things went hard the other way. Mm-hmm hard the other way, which you know, yep. living there and being engaged in the stuff you're engaged in. So you with Hollywood, I mean, there are all these China Hollywood deals and that's both place specific and also just metaphorically, it could be China and Britain or whatever, but there are a lot, so many of these deals and there are cultural reasons why many of them, I would say the majority of them probably were never real deals in the first place. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, it not, but even in the places where there is mutual understanding, mutual good faith, Mutual intent, so many of these deals ultimately fell apart anyway because of the financial restrictions. Right. Trying to try not to, you know, trying to avoid money laundering and capital flight, blah, blah, blah. But that killed like the little, little window, window, Mm -hmm. okay, of my intention. That, that was the main death, death bell for that. Yeah. And then the other thing was just the fact that content wise, we're always going to have two industries because language and because culture. It's almost impossible to do a successful co-production. The mm-hmm. handful that exists, kids like kids and family related stuff or travel docu stuff. Right. Stuff, stuff, stuff that's like G or P or like PG, not even PG thirteen. Like stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, animation, because you can revoice characters, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's those are your opportunities, but this is basically you know stuff that I basically don't do. I mean, I've done some docu stuff, 
and I, I love documentaries. Yeah. There's no, there's no money in it. Tell you a secret. There's no money in documentaries. You know, I mean, they're, they're like three people who make a living making documentaries right. and you know, Michael Moore and Ken Burns are two of them. Right. You know, so it's a bit of an exaggeration to make the point. This conversation is the is the perfect example of how different our virtual lives are yeah. and our geographic lives and and how different the conversations can go depending on what people do in those two places. So with that in mind, knowing that the people that come on here are expats or were expats in one or more places and right. that we're dissecting their their virtual or online brain, <laughs> what questions are missing? What should I ask future guests? on the show. I think that there's something to be considered here because mm-hmm. I've done it in passing, you know, mm-hmm. scratching my beard moments. There's probably, there's probably a few PhD uh, dissertations to be written on this topic or some master's thesis or whatever. And there have been things about how does your online persona influence mm-hmm. your offline reality? And mm-hmm. what's the, what's the difference? Is it, you know, being unified is a thing. I think it's interesting how, how have your core values as you identify them, how have those core values changed during your time living abroad and why? And the online specific question is, how does, how does the way you must represent yourself to be socially acceptable mm-hmm. in your new home, how has that influenced who you really are fundamentally? Because our online, our online persona is ultimately like, it's like our agent, mm-hmm. the yeah. shiny, prettier, happier, slimmer version of all of us, right? <laughs> How close is that to your real self? Is that the the essence? Yeah, yeah. And also in in something approaching seriousness for me, um, Mm -hmm. because I actually am very serious. That's why I threw in all the humor to diffuse and, you know, try to examine some weighty, weird stuff without it being too heavy Mm -hmm. uh, or coming off too self-important, you know? I mean, Carlin is more of a role model for me than probably Mm -hmm. any speaker. You actually created two of them. So which one do you want to answer? How (laughs) have your... skill. (laughs) (laughs) Answer one question by creating two more. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, now they're on the list of questions that will possibly be asked. Okay, great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All of them, right? So which one do you want to answer? How have your core values changed living abroad? Or how does the way you represent yourself online show us your real self? Which one do you want? I want you to answer the second one, but it's ultimately. I'll answer the second one. (laughs) I'll answer the second one. So how does my online, how does, in my case, how is my online representation and my, and and my, my actual self, how have I reconciled these things is kind of the best way to restate my own question. I can answer this by relating another friend's story. Mm -hmm. My friend, Carl King, who does the music on my podcasts, Mm -hmm. spectacular filmmaker, writer, director, producer, editor, composer, Mm -hmm. had been a big cult musician. He was, he's actually famous in certain progressive music circles under Mm -hmm. a couple of his different pseudonyms that he had. Mm -hmm. And there was a point where he went through a bit of a, and he talks about this himself and I'm paraphrasing to summarize this. He basically went through a bit of a breakdown. He had this existential Mm -hmm. crisis of who the hell am I? Because all these personas and his different personas are known. And one of them was like a real edge. They're always kind of edgy people and he's really sweet and kind, Mm -hmm. but this is how he agitated and how he stirred the pot and how he Mm -hmm. challenged by challenging other people mm-hmm. and you know sometimes it's probably slightly on the trollish dickish side of things not being mm-hmm. horrible not like some political person with an axe to grind but sure. just artistically oh that band sucks and here's why and then very very you know intelligently tearing something apart and it's like yeah a he grew up but he had this crisis to integrate his personalities and so we all his pseudonyms so he ended up coming back into his own self and just being carl king and what's funny his website is carl kingdom carlkingdom.com. 
<laughs> and you know, and, and in a way, because it's it's perfect. It's his kingdom of all his stuff, but he right. but he's just himself. And so for me, I've always just been myself. But the necessity of you know, I mean, there are a lot of things, a lot of aspects to this. I mean, I kind of let it all hang out to to a degree. I mean, I have mm-hmm. some boundaries and sense of propriety when I need to, and and so I'm I'm always evaluating like how much can we kind of have fun versus how straight mm-hmm. does it need to be. But I err toward the side of let me be candid, and mm-hmm. and again, if we were live on CNN, I'd be totally focused and giving you the bullet point type answers, and this is a different format, right? Yeah, but um. Yeah. Exactly. And that's part of why I like you and I, we, this, this is the format that I love when we flip the roles. It's the same thing, except I'm asking more questions and you're doing more talking. And for me, integrating those personalities, you know, I didn't have distinct like splits in my brain, but I was aware of, okay, so here's, you know, professional entertain entertainment professional is kind of mm-hmm. a broad category. But especially as I veered toward, oh, maybe doing some sort of corporate consulting, public speaking, and promoting my the idea of promoting myself as a speaker is something I've looked at three or four times in my life. It's come up and it's, you know, some and there are these great training programs that teach you how to do this stuff. Mm-hmm. And I've been involved in one of those years ago in a in a different role, like kind of like junior facilitator in these mm-hmm. things in like an incubator before you called them incubators and, 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 you know, figuring out that I just want to be me, mm-hmm. right. I just, for better or worse, I'm just going to be myself. And mm-hmm. so there's the China friendly version, which is simply, I mean, I don't post too much polemic sort of stuff anyway, because nobody really cares. I mean, you know, no one's opinion has been changed by what someone screamed at them on the internet. So I'm not that guy, but trying to navigate what I actually care about and what I'm thinking about and what I want to share. And then there's the promotional aspect, which it's, I always feel like a dirty whore and you have to figure out how do you promote something and put something out there in a way that's necessary and gets the point across, but the people don't just go, dude, shut up. We don't care. You know, you don't want to turn people off. You know, finding the balance is always, that's the never ending challenge of all Mm -hmm. this. Finding the balance between how you are Mm -hmm. online. It's not that much different from having to navigate socially the reality of just existing in the world. And, you know, Western society has been going through this with Me Too movement and things like that. And, you know, working in Hollywood as a metaphorical place, even if it's not my physical place, mm-hmm. something I'm keenly aware of because we tend to have people who are really pushing the envelope on, mm-hmm. you know, both in terms of the social justice side and you have people on the free speech side you know, who are often at, at opposites, right? And are the people who are actually fighting sometimes through mm-hmm. different proxies. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's been a learning experience for me and it's one I'm still dealing with, mm-hmm. trying to be as straightforward as I can be. And be you know feel like I'm being treated myself, but uh, keeping my keeping my visa intact. That's the goal. <laughs> I totally get that, <laughs> and I think that's one of the appeals of your projects is that it's it's never unclear how real is is Brendan being. I think it's pretty clear for the listeners that you're you. That that, okay. that decision Good. is coming across Good. Good. at least to these earbuds. So thank you so much, Brendan, for being on here. I'm sure our listeners will have a lot of stuff to feedback on. How and where should they find you online? Well, thanks thanks for having me. It's it's really been a lot of fun to to chat with you and to kind of ramble on here a bit in some places. I hope that listeners uh, enjoyed it. And if you want to find out more about me, but I, I'm centralizing 
everything on my main website. You can go to crazyinagoodway.com. You can track on my podcast, howchinaworkspodcast.com is its own site, but my projects, and then also I'm linking through, I've been streamlining this site. I've been throwing pages away like crazy. But yeah, so reach me there. Um, there are contact options, contact page, and you can search me on the socials. I'm kind of easy to find. I'd yeah, really like to follow on Instagram. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Instagram is fun, and, and, and I've noticed that my friends under 30, that seems to be the main way that they friended up and even chat, yeah. you know, use yeah. the, the chat and Instagram as their main chat these days, it seems mm-hmm. like. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much. Hey, Steph here again. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Virtual Expats Podcast. And thank you to Brendan Davis for coming on. With all of his projects, I know how precious his time is. And I'm really, really grateful that he was able to have the long chat that we had for this episode. And for him being just so genuine, so funny, and such a good storyteller. So thank you very much, Brendan. We are definitely going to follow you online at crazyinagoodway.com because he is and we like it that way. Thank you also goes out to Damien Castillo, who graciously allows us to use his music from the Mess of Me album. And I realize I've just been playing snippets behind us talking so far in the Virtual Expats podcast. So after a brief surprise here i'm going to play the full song it's also called mess of me it's the title track of that album with lyrics and damon's voice is amazing so you're gonna love this so please do listen up for this one you might want to get up and start moving around too because it's it's a pretty jazzy number you can find damon's information at damoncastillo.com it's d-a-m-o-n-c-a-s-t-i-l-l-o.com if you are lucky enough to live in coastal california you can find him all over the place. Uh, He does a lot of concerts in Central Coast, California, like around San Luis Obispo area where he is based, but he also goes up and down the coast as well. So do get on his tour calendar there. You will want to see him and his band live. They are amazing. For more Virtual Expat podcast episodes, feel free to visit us at virtualexpats.podbean.com or literally just search for us as Virtual Expats in your podcast app. Uh, Feel free to reach out to me with any questions, comments, or to volunteer to be a guest on the podcast. Again, it's S-T-E-P-H-F-U-C-C-I-O everywhere, everywhere. Thank you so much and more soon. Hello. Okay. Yeah. Um, does it sound good on your end? Yeah, you sound great. Yeah, I mean, I mean yeah, well, you sound great. <laughs> it's, it's, right it's, now? It's right the second. Yeah.
kind of girl to take your tea out in the garden. Spill your cup, now I'm stuck cleaning up, begging your pardon. Your debris, clear to me. Now my heart is starting to harden. Every drink makes me think of the stink. You've made a mess of me. Thank you. 